We're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy today, Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you want to head that direction. Um, Just a quick reminder, uh, today from 4.30 to 6, we're having a a drive-through, say goodbye to John and Aaron and Grady and Audrey time. Uh, We're unable to do a big party, church-wide party for them because of coronavirus and all the various things that you're very aware of. Um, so we wanted to do something that would allow everyone a chance to come through in a way that's safe. And so you can certainly, you'll see, next Sunday is their last Sunday. And so if you're, you want to see them on a Sunday, that's, that's great. But if you're, uh, wanting to come and drive through, it'll be 430 to six today. We're going to come in on the, we're going to kind of circle the wagons through the, through the, on the North side over here and then back around to the back, uh, where they'll be. And so, uh, come through, uh, say, say, uh, another goodbye to them. If you want to bring them a gift, uh, they asked it to be very, very like thin, like a card. Basically, bring a card. Don't bring anything bigger because John has the pod, like the shipping pod, down to a science, and there's basically no room for anything else in it. Uh, and if you know him very well, you know that I'm not joking. Uh, it's very, very scientific. And so, uh, if you want to bring him a card or something, that that would be great. And then next Sunday will be their last time with us, and so we'll take some time to pray for them as we send them out. Um, if there were no coronavirus. Hallelujah. Anybody? Yeah? Okay. If there were no coronavirus, uh, to this day today would be the essentially the kicking off of a new semester of school and all that kind of stuff. We would officially be kicking off the fall. Um, and even though there is coronavirus, that's still happening. You know, like schools are going back in session either you know, some this week, some next week. But it's pretty much at that point. The vacations are behind us. All the summer things have happened Uh, for the most part, and now everyone's shifting gears into uh, school rhythm. And even if you don't have kids in school, we still kind of function on like a, like a school, school year calendar as a society, as like a fall and a spring and a summer. Um, and even as far as weather, we don't really have a winter. So it kind of works out, you know, like very nicely in Louisiana. And so, uh, as we kind of shift gears into that, um, Really, we're just going to kind of keep going as if there were no coronavirus. We're going to pretend that Rona, as she is officially known, is not with us. And we're just going to kind of press into the same, uh, the same things that we would have done. And if we need to, all the adjustments we need to make for the sake of uh, public health and safety and loving our neighbor and being compliant with what our leaders are asking, we're going to do that, whether it's Sundays or community groups or anything else. But we're, gonna, we're not going to like put everything on hold. We're just going to keep going. Um, and we'll just make those adjustments as we can. And so uh, I want to take a minute here at the outset to just address very quickly but deeply um, the fact that this school year is bringing with it a whole, uh, just a whole bunch of uh, yuck, let's just say. Um, for parents who are having to figure out how to, uh, how to work their schedules out to where their kids are maybe home three days a week or more and having to kind of become a homeschool mom, dad, uh, during that time and hoping that your employer is compliant, like is able to work with you on that. Uh, for some families, it's, it's a very easy thing to shift into. It's well, maybe not very easy, but it's easier some others just don't, it's a lot more difficult and, uh, that is not lost on anyone. And so all of you parents who are, uh, 
who are, you know, you're trying to have a really good attitude about it, and you, you are, you're doing great. Um, and you're trying to get your kids psyched about it, and you kind of know it's just one of those things. Uh, for everyone who is not a parent, it is not lost on us how weird this is for you and how different it is and the things that you're having to, to go through. And so um, just on behalf of, of all the non-parents, let me just tell the parents we're with you. And uh, if you, if we can help you in some way, you just need to let us know. Uh, very much willing to do whatever we can to help you and your kids get through whatever the fall semester is going to look like. Um, and we, but we don't know if you don't let us know. So even the past few Sundays of looking at the the early church in Acts and how they, uh, the reason there were no needy people among them is because those who had listened to those who didn't have because those who didn't have were expressing their need to those who had, and they went and sold their stuff to make sure people had what they needed. So it takes that communication and trust from everyone. So if you're a parent and you need help from the non-parents, you just need to let somebody know. And if you're not sure who to let know, just come, come let the church leadership know. We'll find a way to do it. But we just want you to know that we're with you. It's not lost on us. Um, secondly, to all of our educators... Uh, whether you are a, a, a teacher, an administrator, you work somewhere in, in the network, uh, we know that you're having to do basically two jobs. You're having to get your classroom stuff together for in-person, and you're having to figure out how to transfer that to online. And uh, for some of you, you got to practice that a little bit in the spring, so you kind of know what's happening. But the rules are always changing, and the administration is trying to do the best they can to listen to the to their higher-ups, and everyone has a boss somewhere, and and then you're having to deal with the, 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 the pushback from the public and all that kind of stuff. And the, sometimes I feel like the teachers are kind of caught in the middle and the, educa- and the administrators are caught in the middle. Um, and nobody would want to be making big decisions about education right now, right? The only worst job would be the football people, right? Because uh, they have to deal with probably the biggest backlash. Uh, but, and so to all of our educators, anyone who, who is connected to that world, it's also not lost on us. Uh, the stress and the um, anxiety and the uh, the overwhelmed nature of what you're having to deal with right now and getting things ready, because all you want, you want what's best for your kids, and uh, that is asking a lot of extra stuff from you right now. And so, uh, again, from I'm a former teacher, but I'm not a teacher. So from all the non-teachers to the teachers and educators, know that it's not lost on us what you're having to deal with as well. And if you're watching by live stream at some point, just know that we, we are with all of you and it's not lost on us. And so uh, we want to help like go through this together. This is not a time where you should feel on an island about any of this stuff. Um, and so any ways that we can be helpful, like actual, like in terms of like tangible help, uh, if we can pray for you, if we can encourage you, if there's anything, you just, just let people know. I promise you this, you do not sound whiny when you express needs that you have. Sometimes it's easy to feel like that, um, but it's not heard as whining. It's heard as I'm communicating my stress, my anxiety. I'm communicating what's going on inside of me to you so that you can help me. And so I'd like to take a minute. Uh, if uh, w- Typically we'd have like a ton of kids here and stuff like that, and we'd pray over the kids and all that and uh, and the teachers and all that, but we're not supposed to be like getting close to each other. You know, we're supposed to... That whole thing. And so we can't really do the prayer time like we normally do the prayer time because of attendance and because of uh, physical distancing that we need to have. So I would just like to take a minute and pray over all those groups. Um, 
And so if you have a child or a teacher or a parent in your proximity and you just want to like think about prayers for them without having to touch them, uh, that would be perfectly fine unless you're married to them and then you can touch them. Uh, and so, and if you're watching over live stream, if you want to just join us, I just want to take a, take a minute and just pray blessings over all of our students and all of our teachers and all of our parents. Okay. So just join me as we, as we pray and come before the Lord on their behalf. Father, uh, how comforting to know uh, that nothing catches you off guard and that you have been, uh, in ways we, we can see and in ways that are unseen, you've been preparing us for this for a long time. And, um, and so now school is upon us again, and we all honestly thought that we'd be back to normal by now, um, and we're not. And so I just come before you, and just like Solomon asked for, um, and just like James told us to ask for, we ask for heavenly wisdom. We don't need the earthly wisdom that is offered to us uh, so, so readily, um, and that's always coming our way, all this earthly logic and all this kind of stuff. We don't, we don't need those forms of wisdom. We need the wisdom of heaven. We need the wisdom of our creator and our sustainer, the, 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 the omniscient, all-powerful, holy, loving God. We need, we need your wisdom. We need the wisdom of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit who spoke the world into creation and have guided us along to this point and have mapped out an incredible future for us. And so, Father, for our teachers, our educators who are working incredibly hard right now to, to be able to do what they feel like you've called them to do, what they've been trained to do, I pray that you give them extra grace and extra heavenly wisdom. That you would give them uh, everything that they need for life and for godliness as they make their lesson plans, as they figure out how to make things happen online, as they deal with all the, all the moving parts that are being asked of them right now, just would you pre, please just bring a steadiness and a peace? Would you give them a confidence that shows whenever they step foot on, a, on to campus that the, that the Christian faculty would just that they would just carry themselves differently because of who they are. Not in a way that makes them better, th- better than those who don't know you, but in a way that reflects where their hope and their uh, trust are found. I pray that that confidence and that heavenly wisdom would, would draw people to you and that they would be a city on a hill as they go into their schools and that that heavenly wisdom would permeate everything that they do. God, for parents who are trying to, to figure out what to do and, and with, even though things keep shifting and all that stuff, God, would you grant them favor with their employers? Would you just work out, schedule conflicts, and um, would you just bring them to solutions with great peace? And so many of the decisions that are having to be made, they seem so massive. Would you help them to bring those under your covering so that your wisdom is guiding them forward? And for those who have to suddenly become uh, homeschool teachers, would you give them 
the confidence to know they can they can do this and that their kids are going to be fine and um, just that assurance for the teachers and the parents that they're you're not going to mess your kids up you know you're just not and hopefully God this is just one semester we have to figure out and and that we can get back to what we consider to be normal but until then I pray that all the teachers and parents will walk by faith and not by sight. And God, for our kids, um, from the ones just starting out in school all the way up through our uh, our, our one high school senior, uh, this that God, that you would give them that same assurance and confidence and wisdom that you're giving their parents and their teachers. That you would help them to go forward with confidence and even though this is not ideal, um, help them to, to still get the, get every single bit of, out of what they're learning. And, um, would you provide the, the, the gaps that are coming in with social things and all that kind of stuff? Would you just continue to provide and sustain so that, uh, whenever things do kick back in and they're able to go to school five days a week and do all the normal things, they just, they just pick right up and just continue on. I pray that, that they know that they're, that they're fine and they're safe and uh, that, that they're going to be perfectly okay. And God, lastly, may we as a church do all that we can to support um, the, the teachers, the parents, and the students. Um, may we be sensitive to, those, to the, the trials and the difficulty that's there. May we, be, may we respond with grace and with truth and a readiness to help uh, in, in any way that we can. And so, God, I ask your blessings on this semester. Uh, you, you know the unknown, and we take great comfort in that. So we thank you, God. We love you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Okay. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I kind of I have three sort of objectives in mind. One, one is, is that I hope... For our for our teachers and our educators, that that this would be kind of a a, a vision casting or a recasting of vision for what you do. Uh, for parents, I hope that this is a reminder of the incredible honor that you have in shepherding these little disciples along the way. And thirdly, for us as a church, that we would uh, that we would calibrate or recalibrate. Um, and be tuned in to to the fact that we are headed somewhere as a family, that we are a group of disciples who make other disciples, and uh, this incredible opportunity that is in front of us. Um, in Deuteronomy, let me get a little bit of background. Um, Deuteronomy is uh, is positioned between uh, at a really strategic point in the history of Israel. So. Um, you know, they were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. God freed them uh, through uh, Moses' leadership, led them out into the desert and, and provided for them and was leading them into uh, a land, the land of promise. And uh, along the way, they were, um, they whined a lot and they complained a lot and they uh, rebelled against God and they formed idols to worship them. And they, they just basically did everything that you weren't supposed to do and essentially disqualified themselves from going into the promised land, all the adults. And so they wandered, like God led them in a, like a, 
what we think is like like some kind of circular pattern type thing in the desert for 40 years until all of those adults had died. And so now, at the end of uh, when you get to Deuteronomy, you have all the all those adults who were disobedient and idolatrous and rebelled against God. They had all uh, passed away, and all their children who were not held accountable for those things. Their children had grown up, and so now the children are now that they're now the young adults, and the median adults probably. And so they are uh, they are they're the ones who are going to get to go into the land. And so Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, is essentially addressing this new generation who had watched their parents sin against God and rebel against Him and, they had, and, and watched them disqualify themselves. And they had been preparing to go in and take the land and now it's almost time. Moses won't get to go in either. Joshua is going to take them in. And so this is kind of basically like... Uh, it's, it reminds me a little bit of maybe like a commencement speech kind of book, you know, where you, you have all the graduates there and they're like eager, ready to go. And some wise old owl gets up and tells them, you know, a bunch of things and gets them ready for what is ahead. It's kind of in a very poor analogy. That's kind of what Deuteronomy is. And so it's a bunch of those kinds of things. But basically he's saying, this is how your parents and grandparents and great grandparents, this is how they messed it up. Don't repeat their mistakes. Don't do what they did. And here's how to keep from doing that. That's what the book of Deuteronomy is. The overall message would be this. Trust and obey God as he leads you into the land. Be loyal to your God as he leads you into the land. Just trust him. Do what he says. So, Moses uh, in the first couple of chapters, he reviews their history and their mistakes. And then there comes this passage that has gone on to become one of the most important texts in all of Judaism. Uh, this is prayed every morning and every evening. This is a sacred passage um, in their faith. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, and verses 4 and 5, this is the sacred prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Sounds familiar, right? Jesus, when, when asked what the greatest uh, commandments, um, like what, they say, what what's the most important commandment? This is what he says. He quotes this. Jesus would have grown praying this every morning, every evening. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Let's let's sort of let's break this down. Just just a very quick overview. It's it's known as the Shema. Shema means listen. It means hear. And so the Shema is 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 based on that very first word, hear, O Israel. And it's not it's not here as in uh, like make sure that your ears are perked up kind of thing. It's more like uh, I don't know if your parents ever did this, but like. If, if I got in trouble because I, they told me to do something and I didn't do it, the, the line, it was always like, why didn't you listen? Parents ever done that? Some of you parents are looking at your kids. <laughs> why didn't you listen? Or if it was on the front end, it was like, now listen. You better listen. Why didn't you listen? You need to listen. They were getting in trouble for school for not listening. It's not because you weren't hearing because you were distracted. It's this combination of hearing and then obeying what was said. It's both of them together. 
So when I got in trouble for not listening, it wasn't because I wasn't, I was distracted by something. It's because I didn't do what I was told to do. But also in, in a, to positively state it, when God is saying, hear, O Israel, Shema Israel, he's saying, hear what I'm saying and also do what I'm saying. It's, it's one, it's one continuous motion that has both of those components to it. Um, and so this is, is the, uh, hear, O Israel, this is to the entire nation which Jesus then brings into the kingdom of God so we can like see ourselves in this as well. It says, Hear, O Israel, so listen and obey, Israel. Uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, th- they had been immersed in polytheism, in, in, in multiple gods. So you go, you go back to their enslavement in, in Egypt, and Egypt had, they had gods for, for everything. And so even the, when, you, when you see the ten plagues that uh, were a part of the Exodus story, uh, each of those plagues is trumping a very specific God that they had worshipped. And so some of them seem really strange to us, like the, the frogs and you know, the, the Nile turning to blood and all those kind of things. And that was because they, there was a God of agriculture. There was a God of nature. There was a God, like the Nile River was a, was a God. And so um, Yahweh is systematically showing that, he is, that those are false and he is more powerful. And so they had, they had grown up in that polytheistic culture when they came out and they were uh, out at Mount Sinai and they were, they were, they were freed from, from their enslavement, but they were kind of trying to figure out what to do. The reason why they, they melted down all their metals and formed an idol to worship is because that's what they had seen. That's what they had known. And God's trying to tell them, no, there is one God. Like your, your God is the one God. There's not a bunch of gods. There's one and he's yours. He's, he's ours. And so it's, it's, it's this collective thing. It's, it's here. O Israel, the Lord, our God, our God is one. There's just one. And so to get them to leave that polytheistic culture, um, is, is, is incredibly important. And he's pointing out to them. That's where, that's where your parents all went wrong. They didn't understand this. They didn't get this. They didn't, didn't obey this. So our God is the one God. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God. That our, our, the, this one God, our God, he is to be loved. Which is beautiful, you know. A lot of the, those false gods... The way that you would worship them is you would you would do all kinds of, of strange things, even to the point of like, like child sacrifice type stuff. And the bottom line, though, for this God is that, that what he wants is he wants you to love him as he has loved you. So from his eternal love comes love to you, and then you love him in response. And so there's this there's this sense of a like of a committed devotion. That's what the words mean. So he's saying our, the one God, our one God is devoted to us and we are to be devoted to him. We're to love the Lord, our God. How much? Well, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Now, if you want to do a deeper dive into those words, go, um, go look up the Bible project uh, videos on the sh- on the Shema, S H E M A. They kind of go into each of those words. I'm just going to give you a, a summary because they're smarter than me. I mess it up. 
But basically, when he's to say heart and to say soul is essentially saying everything about you. Your thoughts, your feelings, your attitude, your will, uh, your physical body, your possessions, your money. Everything is encompassed in heart and soul. Saying everything about you is, is to be directed in love to your God. And then it says with all your might. And what might does is might takes those, that heart and soul, that, that holistic love, and basically says to the fullest extent is what might means. Like a, a hundred percent of you. It's not a half-hearted love. It's not one that's kind of temperamental and like ebbs and flows based on how you're feeling. Like kind of it's like, no, a hundred percent all in all your might in your heart and in your soul. That that is how the one God loves Israel, loves you, loves us. And that's what we are to do in return. That, that is what the, their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents, that's what they got wrong. And for this group, this new generation about to follow him in faith into this new season, that's what they needed to get right. Above everything else, that is what they needed to get right. Shema, O Israel, love him. Just love him. Now, this is what it means to be the people of God. Jesus models this, right? Like this, doesn't that describe the life of Christ? Like don't you see him in his, in his thoughts and in his feelings? and in his physical body and in his attitude and in his possessions and in his time. And don't you see him 100% all in loving God with all his heart, with all his soul? And don't you see him loving people the same way, which is why the second commandment makes so much sense. Love your neighbor the same way. Like we see this, this in Christ, we see it modeled. And so he is, God is summing up for us not only himself, but also his people and his kingdom. This, this encompasses everything. If we can get this right, everything else falls into place. And the thing about it is it's not assumed, it's not implied, and it's not passively handed down. Say that again. It's not assumed or implied or passively passed down because you look at the next few verses, like there's this massive, huge idea, and this is what he tells them to do with it. Look at verse 6. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Does that sound ambiguous? <laughs> no. He's like, hey, we're not, we're not going to repeat the mistakes of the previous generation. You're going to get this right, and you're going to teach your kids to get it right. And you look at how intense this is. Verse, uh, first of all, verse 6, these words I command you today shall be on your heart. If he's talking to this new generation of adults, what he's kind of saying is, hey, before we get into teaching it to your kids, you know this has to be valuable to you, right? Like your kids will not value this if you do not value this. 
It's not how it works. The things that your kids pick up on and become important to you, uh, important to them, are the things that you also value. Now, your kids are going to go rogue at some point, and they're going to like they're going to get really interested in things that you do not care about. But if you want to pass something down to you, you know what your kids can spot super fast is a phony. It's like they have a sixth sense, and they can just tell you are fake. And so if if parents, if you want to instill this kind of love in your kids, it's got to be yours. Like it has to be the way that you live. So he says, these words I command you today shall be on your heart. And then he shifts to the kids. Listen to how important this is to Moses. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them, and he gives them some, some context. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. That kind of covers a lot of ground. He's like, hey, as you're riding down the road, and as you're just kind of hanging out around the house, and when you put the kids to bed, and when you wake them up in the morning before you start your day, like, that's covering a lot. He's saying, if, but it's, if it's on your heart, you're going to talk to your kids about it. You're you're going to train them. Your kids need to know what your Bible looks like. You know, your kids need to know what, what what it sounds like when dad prays. Your kids need to need to know that uh, when when the church gathers and it's time to sing, um, that mom and dad's attention goes to the Lord. They need to know. They need to. They need to know these things. They need to learn these things, and that's what he's telling them: is that you don't passively train your kids; you actively train your kids. The top priority of the parent and the teacher, also, by the way, and us as a village, right? Our like one of our top priorities is making sure that these kids um, don't repeat our mistakes. Amen. To make sure that our kids don't have to learn some of the things that we've had to learn the hard way. Make sure that some of those false narratives that we as adults are still trying to break free from, that they never even have them in the first place because we're training them, we're coaching them. There's a pastor, a friend of mine, who he, he, the way he says it is that his prayer is that our kids would walk in truth longer than we have. That's a beautiful, beautiful idea. And that's one that we, as a church, from the, from the very beginning, have, have we, we put it in our covenant. Like, it's, it's a thing for us. And then, look at verse 8. It says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Okay? If you, if you, um, if you see someone who is, who is orthodox, uh, an Orthodox Jew, or if you were to go to Jerusalem, you'll, you'll see there's, there are things that are wrapped around their, their, hand, their arms. And sometimes it's, there's a little box that they'll wear and it's strapped on their foreheads. And it's because they hear this and they say, oh, stra- okay, I'll do that literally. Like God's like, take these words and bind them to your hands and to your head. Think about your, your hands, like what your actions and your mind, what you're thinking, like literally strap this to your body. And then next verse nine, write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. If you go to a, to a home or a hotel room in, in Israel there, it's, it's, it's on the doorpost. It's on the gates. 
You're saying this, this house belongs to the Lord. This house, the, the Shema reigns over this house. And you can't even walk through my door without being reminded of it. So Moses, is, he's driving this point home. Saying this, this one God, our God, who loves us with his, his heart and his mind and his soul and his strength and every, like every single ounce of him, who, that love to us, and we love him in return, um, your kids need to just grow up being taught to do the same thing. And here's how you do it. You teach them. You train them. You don't assume that they'll learn it. You don't cross your fingers and hope it. It's not implied. It's not passive. It is intentional. It is obvious. It is, it is aggressive. And sometimes it's easy to worry about, like, oh, don't be the weird parent, you know. Be the weird parent, you know. Walk in community with people that, that are, are able to pull you back a little bit if you take it too far, you know. That's where you need friends. Like, hey, that's, been, that's a bit much. <laughs> but but be, the, be the weird parent. It's worth it. Those roots that are going down in that little, that little plant, that's, those root systems are going down, they're going to get to college and they're going to hit a hurricane of some sort and they're going to be like, I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. And you know what? You can be like, that's okay. We can talk about that. We can pray through that. That's, I'm going to walk with you through it because the roots are going to win. They're going to win. And so parents, you're doing this. We as a church coming alongside you, kids group, uh, your community groups, all those relationships. You know, there's a, there's a massive trend in America where, where we are, kids are growing up in church up to a point and then they're stopping. We used to, you used to lose them when they went to college and now you lose them when they go to high school. And there's a bunch of reasons for that. I'm not here to get into it. We had a town hall meeting that was scheduled that had to get canceled because of coronavirus. And we were going to talk all about it. And we're going to do it again because we got to, we, our kids cannot fall into that trap. Um, but uh, a part of why we're losing them so much is because we're, because we're not integrating them into this stuff. Faith being a part of the home and the church, them, them feeling a part of this entire family is very important. And it's a priority to us. Now, you think about this audience that Moses is talking to. This is, the, this is the new generation. They're about to embark on this journey that's going to require deep faith in the face of idolatry and fear. But all they needed to do is know that they're loved by their God, love him in return, as he leads them forward into a future that's better than they could imagine. You know, that's no different than what is ahead of for your kids and our kids. Read again. Think, instead of thinking about this new generation that's about to take the promised land, think about our kids. They're about to embark on a journey that would require deep faith in the face of idolatry and fear. But all they needed to do is know their love by their God and love him in return as he leads them forward into a future that's better than they can imagine. That's our kids. And I say our, our kids because your kids are our kids. So this kind of spiritual formation happens, it happens person to person. There's a, there's a degree of, of it being, you know, like big, big gatherings like this, but the most effective is person to person, parent to child, uh, human to human. That's, that's where this is done most effectively. So you have the experienced 
training the inexperienced slowly over time in the context of relationship. Um, so here we're talking about, like, it's really talking about families, like parent to child. Jesus comes in, though, and he expands that. He expands it. Uh, if you want to turn real, real quick, turn to Matthew 28. Um, another, another passage you're probably familiar with. And um, I know this is going a little bit longer, but I don't really care. So uh, just hang in there with me. Um, it expands, it goes wider when Jesus gives the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 19, he tells them, go and make disciples of all nations, which is what this is. Deuteronomy 6 is essentially describing what it looks like to make a disciple. It's go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's what we tend to think of with, with evangelism. Go get people saved and get them baptized and get them to be a part of the church. But the next part of it cannot be forgotten. Teaching them, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So don't just make converts and think that that's it. You, you got to teach them. I don't know how many of you, and I, I, I was talking about getting raised their hands. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't know how many of you, when you first came to know Christ, did you have a, don't raise your hand. Did you have an experienced believer take you under their wing and say, I'm going to train you. I'm going to teach you to pray. I'm going to teach, teach you to read the Bible. I'm going to teach you what, what worship is. I'm going to teach you what obedience looks like. I'm going to teach you how to hear the voice of God. I'm going to, I'm going to teach you all those things. I'm going to walk with you until you're to the point where you're ready to teach someone else. That, that's, that cyclically should be what's happening. The ideal would be, like for our kids, as our kids come to faith, that mom and dad are the ones that are doing that. And then we as friends of mom and dad get to help in that process. That's, that's ideal. But what about the adult who comes to Christ? What about the college student? What about, what about someone who, who is in their mid-40s, comes to, to know Jesus? What do, what do they do? That's why Jesus says, hey, this is, this is for everybody. The Shema is very much about parent to child. This is about the whole community. Make disciples by teaching them to obey what I've commanded you to do. That's what it's supposed to look like. And so Jesus expands this. So every one of us across the board, we are all learners it doesn't matter how long you've walked with the Lord, you still got stuff to learn. We're all learners and we're all in this spiritual formation situation. And it's, it's this apprenticeship. You're, you're learning to follow Christ. And you think about it like uh, real quick examples of, of what this looks like. In 1 Samuel 3, you, there's a, uh, Samuel the prophet is a young boy and God is speaking to him and he has no idea what's going on. He's so, totally confused. And Eli is his mentor. And Eli realizes, like, oh, God's talking to him, but he doesn't know. He, so Eli teaches him. He said, next time you hear God speaking, say this, and then just listen. He coaches him up in, a how, in how to hear the voice of God. Anybody wish they were coached in how to hear God's voice? It's one of the things I hear all the time. I don't know it's God and not me. Because we have to learn it. You have to be taught. Um, in Luke 11, uh, Jesus was out there praying and the disciples came to him and they said, will you teach us to pray? Just that, just straight up, will you teach us to pray? So he teaches them the Lord's prayer. That's a response. That's a discipleship moment of like, hey, he knows how to do something that I don't know how to do. I'm going to ask him to teach me. In Acts chapter 8, Philip uh, feels led to go and sit with this uh, man from Ethiopia and he's reading the Bible or he's reading, the, he's reading Isaiah, and uh, 
he's like, he gives it to him and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the man says, how can I, unless someone guides me? You don't, someone doesn't come to know Christ, you hand him a Bible and walk away. I mean, I walk, we walk with the Lord for a long time. The Bible still intimidates me a little bit, especially a brand new believer. Some of you guys remember uh, our friend Yi Wing. He was a college student here for a while. He, this is a true story. He uh, bought a Bible from a traveling book salesman. Um, he grew, grew up in China, traveling book salesman. He says, oh, I've, I've heard of the book Holy Bible. He always called it Holy Bible as the title. He read the Bible from cover to cover and was like, this makes zero sense to me. I have no idea what this is. He, he like believed it all, but he's, but it's all, you know, it's all out of order and there's different genres and different, it doesn't really make sense. Comes to America, starts going to the BCM. He's like, oh, they're, they're helping explain this book that I've read that I don't understand. Uh, comes to know Christ like that. He had to learn. How can I learn unless someone guides me? And so what does Philip do? And when you read the story, uh, Philip, uh, he invited him to come up and sit with him. Say, hey, come sit with me. Let's go through this. This has to happen. Now, ideally, it would happen completely organically. And if 100% of us had experienced this as young believers, we would know exactly what to, to replicate. But very few of us did experience. So we aren't totally sure what it's supposed to look like. So when something is supposed to happen organically, but then it doesn't, the church needs sometimes to put some structure to it. And so our friend Chris Cole is going to come, and he's going to explain what our spiritual mentoring ministry, we're we're ready to kick this off as a part of our five-year plan to give some bones to this. So as I close, Chris is going to come, he's going to explain exactly what that's going to look like. Y'all clap for my man, Chris. Chris.